The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit ConflictHealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is really talking about Afghanistan, and I just had been reading these two wonderful volumes of this book, Afghanistan, Memoir from Brooklyn to Kabul by Kat Parenti. And it's just fascinating because, you know, we, we hear about the wars over there and all the devastation and all the fear of terrorism and everything. And we really don't know that much, or at least I don't know, and I didn't know until I was reading her books, that much about the Afghan uh, traditions and all the beauty that really existed in Afghanistan and, and the lovely culture and food and clothing and all that. We really don't hear about that. And so this is a great opportunity for us to learn a bit more about that. And let me tell you a little bit about Kat Parenti, who was born in Brooklyn, New York, and she majored in Russian studies in Fordham University. And then after graduation, she worked as a part-time translator for a Russian lawyer in the United Nations. And then she taught English as a second language to businessmen in New York City's Berlitz School of Languages. And she was also a private secretary to a Japanese vice president of Panasonic. She lived off and on in Afghanistan and Pakistan for over 20 years. She's an author, teacher, humanitarian, an international speaker on Afghan culture. She's multilingual in many different languages, including some languages from Afghanistan, also Italian, Russian, French. And she has spoken before the Afghan Royal Women's Society, the Pakistanis Writers Club, the United Nations Muslims Women Association, and many more. And she's here to talk about her experience with Afghanistan, and really what she learned. Because I think when we're talking about fighting for love, we want to be able to get along with people of all different cultures. And she's a great example of this. And, you know, another thing she did was she started collecting antique costumes and tribal jewelry in Afghanistan, and she actually sold that to museums and museum shops on the east coast of the United States. So you can learn more about her at our website at conflicthealing.com. And you can see her picture, her bio, the JPEG of her books. And also at her own website at cat, C-A-T, parenti, P-A-R-E-N-T-I dot com. Cat, thank you so much for joining us this morning. 
Thank you, Mari. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah. So what what was it that got you to go to Afghanistan and Pakistan? Well, since I'm three years old, I have had past life recall. Mm. I have seen Afghanistan, Mari, in my head. Now, I didn't know it was Afghanistan. I'm a three-year-old child. But it was the same scene over and over. Mm-hmm. I was a 14-year-old girl. I had this heavy dress on that had all kinds of coins and baubles on it. And I was standing, stirring a pot over an open fire with a huge carved wooden spoon. Mm-hmm. And the mountains were in the distance the purplish-brown mountains, and the plains were like kind of a a dark yellow color. And that was the vision in my head. Now, when you're three years old and you have things in your head, you don't necessarily run and go, Mommy, I saw. It was just in my head. That was the end of it. it. But it occurred on a regular basis. Wow. And so that that's what drew you there. I mean, so then when you were older, what, what actually was the impetus to, to go there? Well, then this so-called dream vision, whatever you want to put to that, that disappeared. And instead, it was, a replay, it was replaced by a desire to study the origins of the gypsies. Hmm. And I did this. And I won an award in school for the paper that I wrote on the origin of the gypsies. Now, I'm like 11, 12 years old at this point. Right. So I thought that, you know, maybe these are the people that I'm looking for. And when I went to New York City with a girlfriend of mine, and we went shopping together, and on the way home, she goes, oh, look, there's a gypsy place. Let's get our palms red. (laughs) I'm like, okay, great. (laughs) So... We go into this storefront, and Mari, immediately, the energy around this for me went boom, and just disappeared. And I knew that these were not the people. Then, from age 13 until like 21, I had the same vision in my head. Again, another vision. I was married to a very tall man, kind of dark skin. His country was at war, and I was helping him. Mm. Just a recurring, you know, dream vision. And finally, I kept saying, I'm going to Afghanistan. I'm going to Afghanistan in my head. And when I was like 21... I met somebody who had just bought a brownstone in Brooklyn. I was living in a brownstone two doors away. And he said, hi, how are you? My name is so-and-so. And I just bought this brownstone. It's got the original Tiffany glass. Would you like to take a tour? I said, absolutely. So I go with him and I take a tour and we get to the top floor. And he said, you know, I've traveled all over the world. And he pulls out all this stuff from all these countries. At that time, you could go to Tibet, Nepal, China, you know, all these right, things. Right, right. You do it at that time. And I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. Oh, yes, this is great. Oh, this is wonderful. And then 
he pulls out a cotton piece, a long cotton piece, white, and on it, half of it is covered with silk, white, geometric embroidery. And I'm telling you, Mari, he disappeared, the womb disappeared. (laughs) You were back in that past life, huh? (laughs) I was in that life, and that thing was vibrating. Mm. So he says, didn't you ever want to travel? Now I had gone to Canada and Central America and South America, Mexico. So, you know, I had done some travel. I said, oh, yes, I'd love to travel. He said, well, there's a trip going overland from England to India, and it takes six months to make the trip. You're going overland in a Land Rover and stopping along the way, of course. And that was it. I said, okay, how do I, what do I do? You know, how do I contact these people? He gave me the number. I got the last place on the Land Rover for this trip. Okay. I threw a big party for myself, all my friends, and I said, I'm going to Afghanistan. And they said, are you crazy? <laughs> You're going to be killed. You're going to be cut up and put in a stew pot. I said, I'm going to Afghanistan. Thank God nobody said, how come you're going to... Right, right, right. They would have thought you were really nuts at that that point. Really, they would have gotten the white coat out. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, it just reminds me, and I'm a real believer in past lives, and um, when I first went to Mexico, I took Spanish, and I, the, the first time I went to Mexico by myself to study by myself over there, uh, I also felt like I had been there before. I felt like that was my home. And um, then I did a past life regression with Brian Weiss, who I don't know if you know who he is, but he is a, a medical doctor that did uh, that wrote Many Lives, Many Masters, and he did. Oh, yes. Yeah. I heard of that book, yes, yes. And when I went back to a past life with one of the regressions with him, that's where I was. I was like a conquistador believe it or not. And, oh, yeah. um, and so, yeah, so I, I also have a great, great affinity for Mexico. I love it. Every time I go back and I speak Spanish fluently and yeah. had this desire to learn Spanish, you know, I'm, I'm just a white girl, you know, but I, yeah. but I learned Spanish just like you learn Afghan and all that other stuff. So yeah, I'm a real believer in it. So yeah, so you went there and how, you know, how did you feel? I mean, you were, an American girl in Afghanistan. What was that like? How were you treated? How, how were you greeted? At that time, this is the early 70s, at that time it was paradise on earth. The culture was completely intact. It was self-sufficient. The respect between the men and the women, the children and the parents, uh, even the servants. I mean, it was just amazing. I had never been experienced with such kindness. Mari, mm. such gentleness among themselves to us because there was no time there, Mari. The only time was the call to prayer five times a day. Mm. No clocks, no, oops, I got to go. There was none of that. Everything was centered around the home, and it was a matriarchal culture. Mm. Now, yes. It was patrilineal and patrilocal in that when the girl married, she went to live with her in-laws. However, 
the woman ruled. The man was the figurehead. And it reminded me of my own parents. They were very similar like that. You know, if we came in and said, Mom, can we have da-da-da? She'd say, go ask your father. He's the boss. Go to our father. Dad, can we? Whatever your mother says. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, you know, I got along with them because of the immediate similarity. And anyway, Afghans are Mediterraneans, like Italians, Spanish, French. We're all Mediterraneans. So um, they had no problem with me whatsoever. And immediately, uh, as soon as I started doing business, you mentioned the handicrafts business. As soon as I started that and I went in to, you know, greet a merchant and be with him and he'd sit down and give me tea and we'd talk at the tea, then he would take me home to the bosom of the family. So I should not be alone in his country. Mm. So beautiful. Such I'll a, never such a, yeah, such a close-knit yeah, close type so vivid of... to me. Yeah. He'd take me home. He'd open the door. And the wife was standing there, and behind her were all the sisters and the aunts and the grandmother and the children and the brothers and the grandfather. It was like a huge tribe, but the wife was right there. Mm. And she'd look into my eyes for like three or five seconds, and she could, as they say, read my soul. (laughs) She threw up her arms and embraced me, and immediately called me sister. Mm. And so, very, very powerful stuff. So, what about um, Islam mm. in in Afghanistan? Uh, you said that people are called to prayers five times a day. And how how was Islam at that time? How was that in terms of other religions and acceptance or non acceptance? How was that all? Okay. The true Quran, which of course has been twisted into some form of insanity, the true Quran says, and believe me, I married two Muslims, okay? They're both deceased. But I married two Muslims, and I asked them, you know, separately whenever I met them and married them, I said, do I have to convert in order to marry you? And they said, no, not at all, because... Jews, Christians, and Muslims are all the same people. Mm. So there's no need for conversion. So this nonsense that's promoted by the Taliban, ISIS, and all these other groups, these jihadist groups, this is all nonsense. That, I mean, they go so far as to say that if a man is a Muslim, but he's not a specific kind of Muslim, that he is an infidel, which is not true. An infidel in the true Quran is a person who is an atheist, mm. not a person who belongs to another religion. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so how is it that you ended up getting married? I remember the love affairs in your book. <laughs> so <laughs> why don't you just share that? I mean, you know, you were living okay. there. What did your family well, back back in the States think of all this, by the way? That I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> young and what foolish, right? Young and really foolish? Very fool, young and foolish. Perhaps bordering on nuts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So, again, I was drawn to Afghanistan, had the vision of the man I was married to. So I was, I'm going to say gut level with my gut. I was looking for this guy. And, you know, I met many, many people in Afghanistan. I had many wonderful times with all of them. But, you know, the little voice inside said, no, he's not the one. No, he's not the one. No. Mm. And finally, one night, um, it was, you know, they have kind of weather like Flagstaff, Arizona, with the snow in the winter and the spring rain and the hot summer. And this was November, so it was pretty cold. And usually Afghans invited me to their home for dinner or they invited me to a party um, or people came to visit me. That included foreigners who were there doing business like I was doing business. So there was always something going on. But that night, nobody invited me. Nobody came. And I was like, God, I'm wide awake and bored out of my mind. It's a full moon. I'm going to walk across the park and I'm going to go to, ready for this one, audience, the only discotheque in Afghanistan. In 12th century, we have a discotheque because one of the king's sons was educated in the United States, and at that time, the 70s was disco. So he came back. Of course, there were no jobs in, he studied economics, no jobs there. Other men that went abroad to study in the United States or Europe came back, no jobs for them. Mm. So they went into business. Mm-hmm. So he opened up this discotheque. So I walked across the park, went into the discotheque, sat down. A small group of foreigners, Mari, like myself, who they were doing carpets or they were doing the inlaid guns. The guns were inlaid with brass and mother of pearl. I mean, a beautiful antique. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. And I was doing the clothing. So immediately, as soon as I came in, they're like, hey, oh, come on, sit down with us, have a drink. Now, at that time, hashish was legal in Afghanistan because Muslims don't drink, but they're allowed to smoke hashish. Right. It's a cash crop, too, right? What's that? It was a crop as well. It was a marijuana. Yeah. Hashish is the resin from the marijuana plant. Right, right. It was a crop. But it was used as we in the United States would have, and not today anymore, but times back when we'd have the five o'clock cocktail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was used like that. It wasn't used to get out of your mind, stumble, you know, down, down right. the road routine. Right. Okay. So I go into the club, I sit down, I ordered a glass of wine, and we're all talking, and all of a sudden I felt this intense energy coming from the left, which was the bar. And the bar was completely dark except for one red exit light. And I thought, okay, there's this man over there. He's sitting at the bar with a bunch of others, of course. But I could feel this man's energy. And I was just curious. I wanted to know. So this German fellow, I mean, it was so small at that time that everybody knew each other by their first name. This German guy came by and we've, hello, how are you? How's your business going? How's my business? Okay. He came over and he said, would you like to dance? And just then they started up the music. Okay. I said, sure. Of course, we did the disco dance. And then I thought, oh, this is going to bring me closer to the bar. This is good. <laughs> to and meet the stopped. other guy, right? <laughs> yeah, right on. Meet the other guy. <laughs> he put his arm around my waist. He says, I have a friend of mine who would like to meet you. And I thought, oh, okay. 
So this man is sitting at the bar with his back to me. I go up to him, and this German guy says, Miss Kathy Parenti, I would like to present Sabzada Jamal Mahmoud Yusuf Khan. Now, when I heard that name, I knew it was an Afghan name. It certainly wasn't American. Right, right. So I spiel off in the native language. This guy, he's like 6'3". He gets up from the bar. He turns around. He looks down his nose at me and says in the most British accent I've ever heard in my life, he says, Madam, I am not a Kabuli, which means from Kabul, Afghanistan. I looked at him and I said, I greet everyone in Afghanistan in that manner. And he went, ha! And he pulled out a chair. I sat down. He sat down. We both faced the front. We weren't looking at each other. And, you know, he asked me if I wanted a drink and da-da-da. Well, the German guy was ready to just, you know, <laughs> freak out totally. So he just, you know, smiled and backed out. He was not going to get in the middle of this. Right, right. And so he, man. but he was, he was from Afghanistan, definitely. And he went to school. Well, and we, okay, it's yeah. like this, okay? I'm American. I was born in Brooklyn. But I'm Italian, okay? Mm-hmm. He's Afghan. His ancestors conquered northern India. That's where the Muslims come from mm-hmm. in India. His ancestors conquered northern India way back in, you know, 14, 15, 16th century. And they were told to ride for a full day in a straight line and then make a circle, and that land would be theirs to rule. They were the ruling princes of India. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So he was born in India, but he's an Afghan. Right, right. So so he ended up being your first Afghan husband. That was the man that I saw since I was 13 years old in the dream. Amazing. I want to talk a little bit about the myths that that, um, you talk about Mm -hmm. that, that really should be, you know, eradicated about the Afghan people. Do you want to share some of those myths? Because I think I think that's what's going to be really exciting for my audience to hear. Okay. Well, we covered the myth that Christians and Jews must convert right. in order to marry Muslims. We've done that one. Right, right. Um, well, and we kind of already said that the true Quran was corrupted by radical Islamism. Right. There's really no such thing as an infidel unless you're an atheist. Right. Okay. And then we have the three great laws. People think the Afghans are total savages because they use the Taliban. They hold up that. And those people are savages, no doubt. Yes. But the Afghan culture lived and probably still lives by the three great laws. One is honor to the guest. Mm -hmm. Anyone can knock on anyone's door and they will be taken in and taken care of and fed for three days. Hmm. At the end of the third day, or the morning of the fourth, I should say, the person can go if they have business with that family and discuss business. If not, they thank them and they go on their way without payment. Hmm. That is the first law because the Afghan believes that 
as they do for someone, God will do for them in paradise. Right, right. The second law is protection or asylum. And I personally experienced this. Again, the law is anyone can knock on anyone's door and ask for protection or asylum and must be given it, no matter what that person has just done. Mm. I was in a horrific car accident with my second husband, and I miscarried, and Mm. I was brought to this family, and they took me in, and they protected me from my husband's relatives who were searching for me because I had left the scene of that accident, obviously, Mm. and they knew I was pregnant, which means I carried the next chief. My husband was a chief of a tribe. Right. So they were looking for me to bring me back into their area, and these people protected me and took me in because they knew that the law in that particular area said If the wife of the chief survives him, she is to remain in the women's quarters for the rest of her life. Mm. And, you know, I was an American. There was no way I was going to remain somewhere. Right. Third law is revenge, and that is taken for those who rape or steal or murder. Mm. So those are your three great laws. And most of the time... How they handled these things, like, for instance, rape. Well, that was a story. My second husband's father, who died in a car accident, his brother wanted to have sex with the servant's wife. And he sent the servant on one of these wild goose chases, and he approached the wife, and she refused, and he says, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to tell the entire tribe that you try to force yourself on me. So she says, okay, no problem. Make yourself comfortable. I will be right back. So she went and got a very long, sharp knife, came back and stabbed him a couple of times and ran screaming out. When my husband's father heard about this, the first question was, is my brother dead? And one of the men said, no, we checked, he's alive. He handed this man his own gun and said, shoot him. Wow. So he was killed immediately. And then when the husband came back, of course, they gave the husband a ton of money, an apology, and sent both of them on their way back to their village. Wow. I wonder if that's still the case, you know, now. Probably. Now, the good side of it is when they're stealing, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Healing occurs. Both families get together. I stole from Mari's family. Okay. So then I stole two sheep. I have to repay two sheep. So there's no, like, real horrible penalty unless I am a repeated offender. Mm. You know, it's kind of the three strikes are out. Right, right, right. Then they cut off your hand. Wow. Oh yeah, this is yeah. pretty intense culture. Now, do they do they um, sell their daughters for marriage? I mean, is that okay? Now that is another misnomer. Okay, here we go. That's another. Well, we don't That's have a lot of time, so you got to make this one short. <laughs> okay, real fast. 
The girl is an economic producing member of her own family. This is the social security that she gives to her parents, and that's what the bride price is. Ah. So it's not a selling of the daughter. Can they can they marry for love? They try. They match them astrologically. I see. And a lot of them work out fine. Some of them don't, just like in our culture, and we don't even have those constraints. And do they ha- do they allow a woman to divorce a man? Yes. Again, the true Quran: the woman can divorce a man if he's sterile or if he's cruel. Mm. But you know, with the new twisting of the laws, nobody can do anything. Right, right. So, have you been back? I mean, when all this craziness has gone on, have you been back at all? I was there until 1990 when the Soviets pulled out, and I saw the rise of the Taliban. Oh, it's yeah. the beginning of the horror. Yeah. Um, I have a project going on. I want to get uh, technology to schoolgirls inside Afghanistan. And I'm in contact with two uh, groups that are run by women and are educating girls. So I'm putting something together to be able to get technology over there to these girls. Well, that's wonderful. We are are just out of time. So I want you to just give your website and it's time to go. Cat, C-A-T, Parenti, P-A-R-E-N-T-I. Well, thank you, Kat, and thank you for all the wisdom that you've shared with us, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Your books are beautiful. Thank you, and bye-bye. Bye now, Mari. Thank you. Hey. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.